0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Climate Cool Again. I'm your host, Sarah Meltenberger. We're here. We're back. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, this is all about making positive climate change together and learning about businesses and what other leaders are doing to make a difference and be a positive influence in the world. You know, climate change is so scary. There's new reports coming out all the time. As one of my favorite comedians, Heather McMahon, says we got seven good years left. And like that's terrifying. And even I sometimes am paralyzed with just some of the information that comes out. And it's like, oh crap. How do I like digest this and make this positive? It's it's tough, but I think, you know, we have to focus on the good and keep that rolling like, and, and feel, take that good and feel inspired, right? Like we can't come up with solutions to solve this thing when we're laying in our beds with the covers over our head, just scared, you know, it's just not going to happen. We got to take action. And that's what this podcast is all about. Now, I know it's been a minute since the last episode, but sustainability has been crazy. This, as you guys know, I'm a consultant And there are a lot of requests every day about dissolvable plastics and, you know, what are the newest innovative materials out there and how do we make them more accessible? You know, if you follow me on LinkedIn, that this has been my biggest gripe about the sustainability world that I am trying to change with every fiber in my being. And I've got a new, actually, some really cool news coming up that we're not quite ready to share yet. But I work with some really cool companies that are that make a make an investment, straight up making a pretty big investment in their sustainability strategy as a value add to their business. But I still feel like small and medium-sized businesses are oftentimes left out of the conversation, but they are also the ones that are most aligned with sustainability as part of their value system and who they are. And And it just kills me sometimes because they don't get the same publicity uh, with all the certifications and all the awards and all the things that we see in the news. And And we just have made it so expensive. And so I've been trying to come up with that solution to democratize sustainability a little bit, make it more accessible, make it possible, make it something that everyone can um, adopt and, and, and not be a huge investment that will make these companies go bankrupt just by aligning with their values. So for those of you like, yeah, I have a podcast and we, and we share these stories and share ideas on how to become more sustainable in business and in life. But at the same time, that is what I do for my job. I help people figure that out. Not well, businesses figure that out. So, um, if you are interested in kind of getting involved, feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to do a free consult for 30 minutes. Um, and that being said, you know, I think everyone's kind of asking this question, how do I get involved? How do I become a sustainability consultant? We, You can meet with me and chat with me about that. I'm happy to share my network that I've been cultivating through the podcast and just through life in this industry for the last 10 years. Um, but it's been really amazing to watch the podcast grow and have, you know, new guests are emailing me. Every single day to come on and share their story. So I think that's just been so exciting. And that's really because of you guys sharing the podcast. I I see the numbers growing. And on that note, you know, we want to continue to make a difference. And this podcast is it's so fun to produce. There's a lot of work involved. You guys know it probably if you've ever tried to start a podcast yourself. But um 2022, our goal is to be top 10 in the environmental podcasting on iTunes. So, we really need your reviews, guys, to bring the podcast up, make more people aware that these conversations are happening, make them more accessible. So, I'm going to provide a little bit of an incentive. So, you can, if you write a review, whatever platform that you listen and you write a review, screenshot it and send it to info at makeclimatecool.com. And I'm going to send you some fun little goodies, whether it's stickers. I also have partners that have sent me different things. and I'm happy to send you guys some cool stuff. So I'll do that for the first 50 people that screenshot me their reviews. So that being said, I want to get into the studio. I have a great interview guest today. We chat about all the things in the hospitality space. Uh, So I'm speaking with Lina Khan from Gensler. She is a badass and we just had such a great conversation. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. So let's bring Lina into the studio. I am here today. We're both in virtual studios (laughs) with Lina Khan, who is the Senior Sustainability Specialist and Global Design Resilience Practice Area Leader from Gensler and Design Agency. And actually, I feel like Gensler does so much more than that, and we'll we'll get into it. But she is a first generation Pakistani-American, and she's a huge advocate in creating a better world through the power of design. And I'm just really excited to have her here because you know, I love talking about spaces, and we've we've talked about the buildings industry before. But I think as we kind of break out out of our homes and it back into our work environments, there's so many things going on, And I'm just excited to continue the conversation. So, Lina, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, I know. Thank
1: you for having me, Sarah. Super excited to be here.
0: So you have a very long title and you work (laughs) for a very big company. So I'd love to kind of get into, first off, what does Gensler do? Because it's a big, they do a lot. And then how does your role fit into what Gensler does?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So, Gensler is a global architecture and design firm. Um, So, your the bread and butter is really design work for buildings, um, and we do a lot of commercial spaces, a lot of offices. Um, I personally work on a lot of hotels, um, so that's been fun to be working on the hospitality side of things, and um, again, specifically focused for sustainability um, and seeing really that industry really. Uh, impact that. Um, so it's fun to be in that space. Um, and as well as uh, consulting. So Gensler does a lot of consulting work within workspaces and um, where I'm housed at Gensler is within the consulting team. So how humans interact with space and how it impacts um, productivity, uh, people's happiness, you know, all, all of those things are... Uh, researched and we try to quantify it and measure it, um, especially using our um, workplace uh, index, our WPI. Um, So we do those research and a little analytical work to figure out how to best improve the space that people are interacting with um, within their work.
0: So that's awesome that you work with hotels. I mean, especially now, I think, I mean who doesn't love like a good hotel? I know a lot of people say Airbnbs and like got to love an Airbnb, but there's something about a hotel that's like you're on a special trip. And I also have a, I would literally give up my entire company to go work for one hotel group because I love (laughs) what they're doing. Right. And I just think hotels have such an amazing opportunity to create like people always want to live their best lives when they're on the vacation Mm -hmm. or when they're working. It's like, Oh, I'm going to get up. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to have all these things and live this luxurious, you know, in this moment for, you know, whatever it is, one night, two nights a week. And a hotel's design is absolutely so much part of that feeling and also feeling at home and having everything you need. How does like can you explain a little bit more about what goes into that, this design process for a hotel? Sure.
1: sure. So, uh, it depends on how the client wants to take it. So, um, I've been working on, um, modular hotels as of late. So that's kind of, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, uh, cruise ships so how you know they're made so you have the ship <laughs> and um all the rooms there are all built off-site and then they're, they're kind of popped into the cruise oh, ship craned I did in not later know that. yeah so like that it's all done off-site and then they're kind of like a lego where you have like the skeleton of everything and then you pop them in um so hotels can have the opportunity to to do the same. So. Um, we have uh, one hotel chain which I'm able to talk about now, um, Citizen M. Uh, they are a UK-based hotel um, chain that's you know coming to the US, and we've finished um, one of their projects in Seattle, which was modular built um, in Portugal actually. So all the rooms were made out there, placed on a ship in shipping containers shipped over to seattle and then popped into this the skeletal structure of the hotel um so it's uh a way to cut waste when it comes to construction costs everything is you know very detailed detailed and manicured um to be sustainable in that way um so it's a new way of doing construction um so you know they are Doing all all that they can for their real estate to make it as sustainable as possible. Um, You know, trying to make sure they're hitting the marks for LEED certification, um, you know, meeting those standards uh, and trying to be sustainable in that way. So, okay, I have two questions off of this. One is
0: Is it kind of like the Levittown of hotels in the sense of, for those people that don't know, Levittown was this concept of like, basically cookie cutter homes in certain areas where every single house looks the same, it's the same design. And so they could build a lot of houses really quickly because they were all the same. Is that sort of the concept or is it just, you know, like you said, kind of these custom Lego pieces that just make it easier to,
1: to create? Yeah. So for hotels, you know, you have different options. You have like the, you know, King size room or the suite. So they do have those different variations, but it's very similar in the sense where this is like a certain type of design. So it depends on what the client wants, you know, what the look and feel they want, um, how much variation they also want in their spaces. Um, so it, it just, it depends. It's, it's a, definitely a choose your own adventure. But again, with, with hotels, um, it, a lot of the rooms are the quote unquote same, but um, there's variations of what types of rooms you could uh, potentially design.
0: Okay, cool. And then my other question was around, you know, you mentioned sh- the rooms were shipped in shipping containers, but I've seen like a lot of... Um, I've seen a lot of trends towards actually using shipping containers as part of a build for a home. And there's a really there's a couple of really cool companies out there that make apartment buildings and homes out of shipping containers. And they are stunning. Like, I want to live in one. I think they're amazing. Have you ever heard of a hotel project using shipping containers in that way? Or no, it's not a thing?
1: Not yet. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens more down the line as we extend into the timeline of the universe. (laughs) Um, And, you know, given even, uh, what was it? I think it was the last week or something. Elon Musk was, you know, talking about how he enjoys, (laughs) he enjoys, uh, living. I think he has a shipping container on his property where he enjoys living in that small space compared to his mansion that he owns, um, and how he, he thrives more in that smaller environment um, and is happier there. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised because of that statement. There's a huge trend given his um, mm. influence on society. Uh, yeah. So that, I mean, people, that, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: people like small spaces, like small homes, you have less stuff he sold off a bunch of his homes, I know. And, and I imagine part of the reason why he wants to live in his shipping container is because um, he has a lot of kids. And so like, you need to probably like get away from your kids to get all the work done that that guy's doing. But, um, but I think, you know, speaking of tech, you know, you have worked at REI and you've worked at Apple, two of some of my favorite brands and probably a lot of listeners' favorite brands. Both are very different. Apple's really pushing ahead with technology and trying to come up with strategies and how we engage with uh, you know, new kinds of virtual experiences. Whereas REI is really encouraging us to slow down, get outside, experience more natural experiences and just completely different goals, I would say. What did you kind of do for them and how,
1: how does that kind of, how do what you learn play into what you do now? Sure, sure. So for both of my work for uh, Apple and REI was while I was a grad student at Duke University, I was um, pursuing a master's in environmental management, focusing on energy And, you know, these two great opportunities came. And I think my whole strategy when I was in grad school was um, trying to get as much uh, experience across the board for sustainability. So I come from, you know, environmental sciences and it's very systems way of thinking. Um, You know, if it's an air quality issue, then it becomes a water issue and then it becomes a land issue. So it's all connected for me. Um, So for both of the work, they're very different, but I I see the synergies between them. So at Apple, um, I had done a independent um, uh, study project where I was focusing on the possibility of creating a predictive model um, to be used as an assessment tool Um, when it came to building a global portfolio for potential renewable energy investment sites um, in developing nations or new energy markets. So uh, it was a predictive model to see if it was a possibility to see if there's more social impact um, in, in developing in one location over another. Um, and just, you know, based upon what the, you know, those locations had when it came to their infrastructure, um, what, you know, even from a social level of what programs do they have for women and children in the area that could be possibly, possibly impacted by having new reliable energy um, sources within um, their communities, um, what policies they have in place already for, you know, renewable energy in itself, Um, so it was dealing with all these different variables, um, from a social and economic standpoint and how more reliable energy from, you know, tech companies potentially having new capital investment (laughs) elsewhere in the world, especially with their data centers. So, um, it was something, it was completely, you know, very off the bean path and, the contact that I was working with um, part, was part of the global energy team. And it was supposed to be a tool that could be um, used by anyone in the tech industry. So a open source. Um, so it just it was kind of scratching the surface on what that would look like. <laughs> um, so it was really fun. And uh, a lot of uh, th- there's a lot, uh, a lot of study went into that. What other. Developing nations um, have done for electrification from renewable energy. How it impacted communities. Um, there was a lot of studies they read in Brazil and what they had done. Um, you know, for urban uh, or rural rural areas becoming more urbanized and what that looked like. So um, it was starting the conversation to look into that. Um, So that was great. And then at REI, um, so REI is just great (laughs) in Ah. general. (laughs) Oh, I love Um, that. uh, And they're doing a lot, um, you know, really focusing on their impacts from their products. And, um, you know, obviously really respectful of our earth. You know, we're only, only, this is the only one we have (laughs) and have access to. Um, And uh, for REI, it was just, Focusing on how to make their product more environmentally um, less impactful. So it was basically looking at one of their products, uh, breaking it down and seeing where the quote unquote environmental hotspots were and uh, giving them suggestions on how to make it less um, environmentally harming. And, you know, from the analysis, it was found that, you know, from that product, the most carbon uh, impacts come from scope three, so the, the user phase of it. And, you know, at that point, REI can't really tell people how to maintain their products or anything like that. It's more like a suggestion or we advise, you know, as part of, you know, taking care of their product that you do it in a certain way to be less impactful to the environment. So it was very interesting to do that analytical work. That's
0: you know, scope three emissions are probably one of the hardest to do. And like I have a client where we'll never be able to do scope three emissions. It's just not possible with like the number of factories they work with, the way they distribute products. Um, it it it's there's just no there's no information, but I do think it's interesting that more and more specifically like certifications for products are looking at what does that look like? Because, you know, just because you say something's recyclable does not mean it is. And that I think is becoming a, if something's recyclable, it's, I hate this, but it's almost becoming like greenwashing. And I know that's crazy. Like, but saying something's recyclable is just like not even good enough because we're not recycling. And that's because of a system that a company has no control over. So how they can make something in a responsible way, but if we're not responsible with how we dispose of it, then ultimately, is it a green product at all? Basically yeah. not. Like, yeah. So it's, that's- it's so twisted, but it's something that we all have to like work together on. And I think that's why there's so much it's like there's so much it's important to be very educated on all these things and why all these podcasts exist because I think the more people that understand these problems they will work like hopefully try to solve them wherever they are
1: yeah and I think um you know at the same time maybe it's even information jaded for consumers where it's like oh like everything I guess is sustainable and everything has an impact but I don't think my individual you know decision of putting something in the recycling bin versus the landfill is actually gonna do anything. So it's just right. I don't I don't I don't think people feel or some people don't feel um that their small uh you know in, in small decision like that has actual impact. So it's just information needs to be out there. People just need to get more educated and, you know, even at the same time to put it on companies, um that you know, greenwashing is a thing, and if if they're going to commit or be public about a goal, to actually uh, be transparent about that process as well. So I don't know if you've seen. Um, I know we've had mentioned it before on our, our intro call, but there is so much uh, for inf- articles and. Um, statements coming out, especially in the last couple of months from companies and what they're doing for their sustainability initiatives, whether it's a 2030 goal or a 2035 goal. Um, but it would be, I would love as, you know, just a citizen of this world, um, just to see what the pathway is going to look like, or, you know, if they're going to be uh, transparent about it, because it's great to have these ambitious goals and I'm here for it. and I love seeing it but I also would love to see the process and like progress as well.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a great point because I know for my clients, I'm always telling them like, you can say whatever you want ultimately, but understand that, that it's going to be a conversation. You can't just throw a label out there and not expect to have a conversation about it or to show what you're working on or how you're working on and always phrase it as like, it's a journey. And, you know, I think there was, um, and I know this is kind of moving away from design. Well, it's all kind of design, but I know Ghani was one brand that always marketed, like we're imperfect, we're not, we, we know we make products and we're trying to do better. And I think from a sustainability perspective, I was like, gosh, it's such a cop-out. Like, okay, you're trying, so that makes it okay. Like, you're almost like, it's the cart before the horse. You're saying you're trying before anyone's yelling at you so that you're kind of got your bases covered and you can kind of do your catch up while you need to. But it's it's not really enough. But then on the other hand, I see how hard it is for these companies to make these changes. And so I sympathize or I empathize with them because I, I get it. And I get that how long it takes to find the right materials and how long it takes to pick the right thing and find the right packaging and make all these adjustments. And it's tough. And it's all part of, you know, what is, yeah, what is the commitment? How, what, how transparent are you going to be, but make sure you're communicating that to your customers and kind of leads into my other question and is that you're always posting such interesting articles on LinkedIn about good news, new technologies I love it, and what do you see as really the most needed tech out there for like building efficiency and building design right now?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, there's there's a lot happening in this space, and it's really exciting to see this great, great, great push for everything. Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing, especially from, I guess, you know, an energy efficiency standpoint is, you know, more efficient systems. And I think the biggest thing, um, that I've seen in terms of trying to be as sustainable as possible in the built environment is, um, you know, we need, we need, we need the Tesla (laughs) buildings. And right now I feel like some clients or some People in the, uh, you know, client or individual in the space um, are not willing to compromise design in order to be uh, energy efficient or anything like that. So I've seen that where, you know, people will say that, you know, I want to be the most sustainable building of all time. And (laughs) when it comes down to the brass tacks of things, of having to compromise, you know, the colors that you choose within your space or, compromise that you know you need to have space allocated on your land for solar pV or you know looking at renewable energy technology on site um, having space for on-site battery storage so you know you're having more of a resiliency from the grid from there um so I think we just need <laughs> I, I I always fall back to this example but we need the Tesla of buildings to make it sexy that you know it's okay to compromise a little bit on design you're doing, it's, it's, it looks good. It's doing good. And, um, I think for anything with the built environment, trying to be more sustainable, um, you have to be open to making those design decisions.
0: I'm going to be a little biased because, um, one of my, my old company Delos had, I would say a very cool office that was designed by Gensler it was Lead Platinum, Well Platinum, and Living Building Challenge Petal certified. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. But also, I was also thinking, like, what what buildings do I know that are like so cool? I didn't get a chance to go when I was in Pittsburgh, but the first ever Lead Platinum, Well Platinum, and Living Building Challenge certified building was the Phipps Conservatory in pittsburgh which is i mean it's gorgeous but it's a conservatory you know i mean it does have offices but it's not like the same i think the only building that maybe i haven't been in but seems to me would be the the building would be apple's new office building which is i forget what it's called but it has like
1: that huge park in the middle I think it's just Apple Park, if I remember. Is correctly. it really? Yeah, someone could fact check me. But yeah, sure someone fact check us. I don't remember what it's <laughs> called, but
0: it's like that gorgeous. It's like, hold on, now I have to look it up.
1: Apple. It is beautiful, but they um, also don't let people take pictures, so that's that's part of the deal. Why?
0: It is Apple Park. Wow, yeah. we're so good. <laughs> um, that's crazy. That's cool, but like. But like, that's so out of reach for so many companies, like there's no way. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about sustainability and resiliency here. And I know I have a bunch of questions for you, but what do you think is ultimately the best option utilizing buildings that already exist that maybe aren't that pretty and renovating them? Or is it building a new building that's more energy efficient? What
1: is more effective? Yeah, so reusing what you have—that's the number one way to reduce your carbon. Use what already exists in the world. You're not—you're reducing construction costs, um, any procurement costs for new materials, saving, you know, materials being uh, mined and manufactured. Um, so reuse is the number one way to reduce your carbon.
0: Yeah, because I think you know if you ever drive, in really in any state and in any suburban town, you always have like these 1970s office buildings that were built that are pretty hideous, usually, like they're super modular, but in a way that isn't trendy right now is not and it's dark, like they don't have a lot of windows, it's like mostly concrete. There's got to be a way to reuse those materials and make those give those buildings like a bit of a facelift instead of tearing the whole thing down. Um, but I do think, you know, because we talk about right to light and having as much daylight as possible coming into spaces um, to enhance our work environments and our productivity, a lot of those offices don't have a lot of windows. The windows don't open. Um, it's a lot of fluorescent lighting. And that really can be problematic when it comes to our productivity, which is something that we've talked a little bit about. Um, You know, I think a lot of people don't even realize how much the design of their space signals certain behaviors that get us to work better, uh, you know, feel happier, all these different things. I'd love to kind of get into it, get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, wellness, um, especially in the workplace, is huge. Um, You know, we spend eight hours, sometimes more. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, at least before COVID in office, but I would even argue in COVID are in office in our own home. We're spending more than eight hours working. Cause you know, there's, there's no, it, that, that line between work and home is blurred now, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's definitely very important when it comes to our well being and, Um, I would even add, you know, when it comes to design work um, and inclusivity, um, you know, especially with people with, you know, disabilities, um, and I would even argue uh, inclusivity for people that identify um, that that are on the spectrum and how they interact with spaces as well and how they are impacted by sound. Um, And so those are all elements to be considering when be, when designing new spaces because you would... You, I think we tend to or take for granted how some of us are able to go through spaces without any issues and it's not the same experience for everyone. Um, so like even little design considerations, like just the simple push to open doors and buttons, you know, those are hugely impacted um, on individuals that uh, walk through spaces differently.
0: Well, you know, one thing I learned along a while ago that I thought was interesting was like in retirement homes or nursing homes, um, they don't use dark flooring because when patients have dementia or Alzheimer's or like some certain, um, memory loss due to old age, um, they like think that they're going to fall into the ground. So you can't have dark flooring in these spaces because it's confusing. They don't, they understand always that the floor is like there. They think they're going to like fall. So it's so like, you would not even think about that necessarily. You and I wouldn't think about that, but there are other scenarios where someone may have that fear and cannot interact with the space the way we can and and I think a lot of people might be like well why do we need to design for the one percent you know if only like one percent of people experience that why do we need to design for them and I think I think that's not the point right like the point no. is to make <laughs> <Absolutely> spaces <not>. like <laughs> helpful for everybody. Like that's what the ADA is for. Yeah. That's what, um, that's what design is for ultimately, how do we make
1: spaces work for everybody? Yeah. And I, I think an example that, um, one of my colleagues, uh, colleague brings up a lot, you know, especially for people that are in wheelchairs and they go to an office and they go to the secretary desk and, you know, it's sometimes not in a, you know, yeah, the height difference. So, if the secretary test is too high, then you know people sometimes don't even see an individual in a wheelchair or if someone um, is able, is trying to get uh, speak to the secretary and they have to turn their wheelchair sideways to have a conversation versus you know, if there was space underneath the secretary desk for someone to easily um, have their legs underneath there or like you know get closer, Uh, while on a wheelchair and still be face to face, like those design considerations are not um, put into place sometimes. So it's, it's not inclusive in that way.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think a lot of people, again, like I said, they don't even think about these considerations, but it's not until you experience it yourself or know someone that is experiencing that where you're like, Oh my God, why do we do it this way? Why don't we just is it really that big of a difference to have a high security uh, security secretary desk versus a low one? Like, truly, is there some significance? No, but it like makes a huge impact on someone else's life when they're yeah. coming into a. Maybe they're coming in for an interview, or maybe they're coming in to be part of a meeting. And that interaction, right? It's part of your brand. It's part of your company. And if you're not even taking that into, you know, consideration, I feel like I just used consideration six times, but like, it's, okay. it's, <laughs> that's crazy to me. And that's not even something I thought about, but if I ever have a lobby in my future, <laughs> you know, I'm putting it out here right now. Yeah. I will it, um, speak it into the yeah, universe. Speak it into existence. I'm going <laughs> to make sure that we are designing with others in mind because it's yeah. important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's the uh, sad side of it is that we don't really, uh, will do something unless we're personally impacted from it and shout out climate change, right? Where <laughs> now <laughs> we're getting all, you know, more extreme storms, more extreme heat, more extreme cold, um, crazy flooding um especially in germany right now um and it's just and uh, how much Coast. oh yeah it's like how much in your face do you need to understand that hey climate change and extreme weather events are happening um and it's for you know because of a reason and maybe we shouldn't be pumping out as much co2 into the, the atmosphere than we need to <laughs> yeah no i mean I
0: think you know I even I get more worried about traveling actually because it's hard to know where you're going, what's going to be happening when you get there it there's no guarantee anymore, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize that and and it kind of goes it ties into our the next question as well as the last question. It's because it's like not you know able bodied people again can go through some of these changes in climate without as many problems as those that maybe have disabilities, are living in low-income areas. I mean, they're all experiencing it differently. Um, But kind of, like I said, shifting gears into resiliency, you know, you started at Gensler as a sustainability analyst. You've done all these different projects that we've heard about. How did you know that resiliency was really something you were interested in? Because that's something you do a lot of work in right now.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like everyone at some point, especially as growing up, um, in the U S and having access to education is, you know, at some point in the beginning, you, you heard sustainability and how important it is, and especially being in the public school system, it's definitely a taught. Um, so I would say my beginnings really started in high school and, um, you know, I had a uh, AP bio teacher that would, it was very passionate about, uh, science and, you know, the environment. And he would always show us like documentaries on, um, how, uh, people through industry impact the environment. And if I remember specifically, it was a documentary on pesticides and how pesticide wash off would end up in streams. And, um, the local frog population was heavily impacted on a, um, uh, their hormones were uh, impacted. So they weren't reproducing, um, they were reproducing hermaphrodites within their population. So it heavily impacted them. So it really, you know, piqued my interest where it's just like, oh, you know, as society, we are consumer-based. So we're manufacturing all these things and creating products and really, you know, mining the earth for these resources um, for our lifestyle. And it was, you know, crazy to see that like we are harming our own world. Um, so I decided to study, you know, environmental sciences in undergrad um, and kind of stick to that route throughout my career so far. So, Um, that's definitely, yeah, I would say since I was 18, I kind of (laughs) knew that, you know, environmental space was the space I wanted to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think,
0: you know, it's just, we have such an opportunity to, to design in alignment with nature because your story reminds me of a class that I took in college. I was studying abroad in Australia and it was a class called remediation ecology. And it was, it was, it was biology, but it was also trying to understand how we design within nature and how we understand what keynote species are and how we kind of interact with different kinds of species and how do we help them essentially. And there was one story about the I guess Australia had hosted either it was either the, I think it was the Olympics or some soccer tournament. I don't remember what I think it was the Olympics and they had, they were building this huge soccer stadium and where they wanted to build it, what they were, you know, just breaking ground and they discovered that the green and yellow, this green and yellow frog was endangered and lived on that land. And, it it was going to be this whole debacle, like, oh my God, how are we going to deal with this? And they put out all these different, um, sort of reports and they had people doing research and, and ended up coming to the conclusion that like, okay, well, Australia's colors are green and yellow. So we'll make this like this, you know, national, uh, you know, a pride thing where it's like, these are our frogs, we're going to protect them. And we're going to make this part of the design for this, uh, stadium. And the way they designed it was they had all these bridges and they were protecting the areas where the frogs were meeting and living and eating. And when people came to visit, they got to experience the frogs and hear more about the story. And, and it was just interesting. I was like you can have your cake and eat it too. You can build things and create experiences for people while also protecting the environment in new ways as long as you have the you know desire to essentially. But the problem is a lot of times is you know we don't want to we don't want to pay for those changes. We don't want to compromise. And I don't know what the answer is in terms of forcing these companies to compromise? Because that's ultimately what's going to have to
1: happen. Yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's a change that has to happen if uh, within. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's one thing of, uh, yeah, again, to talk about greenwashing, where you, you're you kind of virtue signal, signaling in that sense where it's just like, oh, we're so sustainable and we're so green and we're doing all the things and you should buy our product Um, but, you know, that's one thing, but for true, true changes, um, it has to be like a core component for a lot of companies that, you know, this is something, uh, that is important to us as society. And, you know, especially with the new up and coming generations and especially, you know, Gen Z makes me happy in the sense where they are very plugged into all things, sustainability and the environment. So, I'm. I'm hopeful that we're going to be continuing this, um, uh, effort to be <laughs> less crappy humans to the our earth. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, I think it's just a change that needs to happen, um, as we continue to press, uh, press forward. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think what's, Hopeful is that so many people are like, how do I work in sustainability? How do I create sustainability programs at my jobs? How do I become a sustainability consultant? How do I work in sustainable design? I think a lot of people are looking for ways to get involved and to implement change into where they are, and that's something I always say is take a look around where you are, and like, there's so many things that you can make a positive impact on. Um, And so, I guess my my next question would be, you know what advice would you give to someone who is interested in working in your field? Or if they can't necessarily get a job in your field, what should be something that they do or look around in their own office space that they could make a change
1: with on? Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I got you, uh, uh, take initiative. Um, it doesn't hurt to go off the beaten path. Um, if you see something, say something. Wow, I'm saying all these like... <laughs> very I understand. basic, basic uh, little um, phrases. But I mean, it's true. Like uh, it doesn't hurt to take an initiative role and it, it like what is the worst someone going to tell you? No, right? Um, so if it's within your own company and you want to... Um, you know, do an initiative, just even if it's as simple as, uh, like a compost day or, you know, um, let's Let's trash audit. Yeah. Trash audit. You know, that's something either Gensler has even done where we've had, um, we, we call them sustainability angels and it was just, you know, to help people, um, feel more comfortable when it came to, like throwing away their to-go lunch boxes and like where does it go does it go landfill does it go into compost does it go in recycling so um we we did this little exercise of uh, getting to-go containers from the usual suspect restaurants in the area of our office um, and then having pictures to show like hey this container actually can go into compost or this one should be going into recycle or this one should be going into landfill and Um, just kind of um, getting people like they don't know what they don't know. Right. (laughs) So you're just helping them out in that way.
0: Yes. That's like one of my biggest tips for places. I've done that at several companies now. Um, It's just like, especially taking what, where do you shop the most and making it just so easy for people to know, like, okay, doing a photo shoot with all the items and being like, okay, this is the thing that goes in this bin. And this is the sweet green thing that goes in this bin because it is confusing. And if you're going to constantly go to sweet green or something, then you're going to recycle it all the same way. And if you're doing it wrong, you're going to do it the wrong way. So it's like, I love that you have the sustainability angels. I think that's something anyone can do. And I would also say, don't be afraid to work a little more. Because you know, ultimately, right? If you're going to start a sustainability program or any of this stuff, you're going to have to put in a little bit more hours. You have to engage with more people where you are and just kind of step up, I guess, to step up for sustainability.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. we're going to keep up
0: with all the the phrases,
1: but <laughs> throw how many more? Throw oh my god! One. Yeah, we're at thirty-five thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah and to add one more like advice piece where i always tell people um like unsolicited but this is solicited at this point um that you know it doesn't like you know shoot your shot on linkedin doesn't hurt to send someone a message and be like hey like i'm interested in this space want to know what you're doing in your own work um because you really don't know um you know if they're open to it and you have that opportunity. It doesn't hurt to ask. Um, so I always tell people to do that because I've, I've, you know, been in that seat before and I'm trying to understand what everyone's doing because you know, sustainability work is so um, vast. varied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on into it, going on with it. So it's uh, it's good to hear from different perspectives.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more with that. I think a lot of people. I have like an open calendar. So people can book time with me whenever to have conversations about how to work in sustainability if they want, or just to learn more. Unfortunately, that means I have to reschedule things a lot because I have no control over my calendar sometimes, but um, I think that's such a good point. And, And that's honestly how this podcast started was me meeting with so many people. And like, these are such great conversations. I'm learning so much from these people about how they're utilizing sustainability and their work. And that became this podcast essentially. So I think that's such a great, that's such great advice. And obviously I'm assuming people can reach out to you via LinkedIn as well um, and get to know you more. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, we could talk on and on and on. I, I keep having all these <laughs> questions, but I know we have limited time, um, but I always want to, you know, this is my favorite question to ask. and. It just is so important to normalize imperfect sustainability. So even though you probably do all these great, amazing things that we could talk about and and promote you for doing, but there are always that thing that makes you feel bad. So what makes you feel like a sustainability hypocrite? And I will just say, maybe don't say travel because that's... <laughs> That's one that comes up though. It hasn't been said in a while. So I feel like you could do it, but
1: yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a good question. Um, we all do it. And, um, I, I know I'm guilty of when it comes to, especially when I was in office of using, um, one-time use cups for my tea or coffee. Um, so, you know, we, at Gunza, we do have dishwashers, we have ceramic mugs, but that's on a different floor. <laughs> and sometimes I don't have time to go, you know, use the stairs. I will say I do opt in using the stairs and not the elevator, because I don't want to use more energy from the grid. <laughs> but sometimes I will, you know, be lazy and walk to the kitchenette and on, on the floor and just use a one-time use cup um, for my tea or coffee. And, um, I definitely have days I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the sustainability specialist in this office. And I'm like walking around with this cup. <laughs> um, so I, you know, definitely have moments of that, or even, you know, just, uh, Starbucks, you know, those th- one-time use cups. So it's just, that's definitely something that I could be better about or, you know, we're yeah, we we're not perfect.
0: <laughs> uh, I love that you said that too, because it's a you I think we we all experience it right when we're trying to be greener but I do think people that work in this industry are so hard on ourselves like we're so hard on ourselves to be perfect and like the optics right like oh I work in sustainability I don't drive an electric car I don't do you know XYZ but I compost and I do all these other great things but it's the small things that we we do panic about and you know I've been You know, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm traveling right now at our, our family house and, you know, we could make coffee here, but we prefer to really support a lot of the local businesses in this area who were hit really hard with COVID last year. Tourism is a huge deal in small beach towns. And Mm. so we want to support those companies, but also not every place takes reusable cups right now. And it's just this constant battle of like, Obviously you want to support local businesses but you don't want to support bad practices how do you then help them and usually i will like facebook dm a company and be like hey i noticed you're still using styrofoam i'm happy to help mm-hmm. i'm happy to like take time out of my day and send you alternatives if this is something that you might be interested in in the future and i've i've gotten a lot of great feedback from that so i always encourage people you never yeah, know that's you really never awesome know. <laughs> it's helpful something yeah. helpful coming from a place of like, what, if you're going to DM a small business and be like, what the hell are you doing? You're doing it all wrong. You can't believe you're still doing this. You're probably not going to get a great response. But if you're like, Hey, I love coming to your business. It's like the best part of my trip, whatever it is, I would, you know, not sure if you've ever considered this, but you're, you know, you're kind of still using styrofoam. It's kind of you know, there's so many other alternatives out there. I would love to help out if that's
1: something I can do for you. I mean, you're going to get a way better response. Yeah, absolutely. And good on you for actually offering. Because again, it's like people don't know what they don't know. And it's like, oh, they didn't know they had other options.
0: Yeah. In some cases, it's an easy Google search and others it's not. So maybe pick your battles, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I love that. And, you know, I, I just appreciate you coming on so much and talking about this because I think there's so much that we can learn from you. And, um, as we get out in the world and travel, people should be looking around, looking around them and saying, "Wow, people design this to be very, you know, it was everything comes from a thoughtful place. And as we continue to consider the environment, it's only, we're only going to have to be more thoughtful and uh, more appreciative. So I, I'm just glad that you came on the podcast to share your experience with us and, um, you know, congrats again. I, I don't know if I said it at the beginning, but you are a green biz 30 under 30 award winner. So that's Thank very you. exciting for yeah. you.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's an absolute honor.
0: Yeah. And uh, so you're part of my Green Biz series and I am just thankful you made the time to chat
1: with me today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is super great. And um, hopefully we get to collab in the future again. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah,
0: no, I I hope so. It's so much fun. And for those that, you know, want to connect and maybe um, chat with Lina, she has, she's opened up her LinkedIn, go find her shoot your shot, send a message. And uh, I'm sure she will make some time if you mention the podcast in your, uh, in your message. So I hope that some interesting conversations come of that. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you.